I'm here to record. Okay. Um, yeah, Audrey Grateful Recovers Compulsive Overeater from County Mead in Ireland, and I will be a host today. And Kathy M is co-host and will be in um, taking the questions and answers. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact myself or Kathy by private message in the chat function. Please note that Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answer sessions which follow will not be recorded. We will post the link to the previously recording in the chat function. We ask if you please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study and also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. We will post a link to the previous week's recording and the seven tradition in the chat function and I will now hand you over to Harlan. Thanks Harlan. Thank you. Thank you very much and thanks for your service and thanks to everyone who makes this possible. There is far more than meets the eye. It is not just me that makes this go. It is a whole team of people that keep the Zoom room going, that administer the treasury, the donations that we get in. Those have to be uh, dealt with, things like that. So far from just me uh, keeps this thing going and keeps it good. We have been talking about Bill Wilson, and we are in Bill's story. And when we get started, we're going to be on, um, I almost said step 11. We're going to be in on page 11, and we're going to start with the paragraph that says the wars which had been fought. But before we even endeavor to look at that, we're going to take a look at some things that we need to review, I think, for a better understanding of what is going on here. So let's take a look at those things in a brief kind of scenario. We have been through the doctor's opinion, and in the doctor's opinion, we learn that it is a twofold illness. It is an illness of the mind and an illness of the body. And a little later on, when we get to the next chapter, we're going to find that the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. And we also are going to learn, and we're going to see it beautifully illustrated in Bill's story, that the physical allergy and the mental twist, which are the two characteristics of a compulsive overeater. I understand a lot of things, but I don't understand this about life. Why does this person have this disease and this person doesn't? Sometimes there's twins, there's siblings in the same family. One weighs 170 and one weighs 395. There's no earthly explanation for it. Same mother, same father, same family, same schools. And one is a compulsive overeater and one clearly is not. If anybody ever comes up with an explanation for it, please let the rest of planet Earth know where that comes from. But Dr. Silkworth says that all of us have this allergy of the body. What does that allergy mean? It means an abnormal reaction, adverse abnormal reaction to a food, a beverage, or a substance. Adverse means it's harmful, and abnormal means that only about one out of 10 people react to food the way I do. When I go out with my friends and we sit down to a meal, very few of them will finish the meal because the more food they eat, the less food they want. And they become disinterested in food very, very quickly. They want to talk and listen, and they want to look around and socialize. And I'm into the food, the food, the food. And the difference being the more I eat, the more I want. The more I want, the more I eat. And that is the physical allergy and the mental twist in search of relief from the intenable pain of not eating is what drives me in to take the first compulsive bite, the first compulsive mouthful. I'm not a big one on compulsive bite. I'm a glutton. I don't bite. I have a mouthful. And I can remember many times in my life where I would get my hands on cookies or cake, or I would get my hands on candy and the tears would be running down my face because I shoved so much of it in my mouth at one time, I couldn't breathe and I actually started crying. And on more than one occasion, I thought I was gonna choke. Thank God I didn't. 
And then we get to Bill's story and we see that Bill Wilson is an alcoholic who has this allergy of the body and twist of the mind. And when he's pounding on the bar after a period of abstinence, wondering how this happened, that is the manifestation of the physical allergy, that the more he drank, the more he wanted, and the more he wanted, the more he drank. And the mental twist is what drove Bill to take the first drink in the first place. And he talks about various things like, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Notice he doesn't say I was very thirsty and again turned to alcohol. He said, I was very lonely and, and turned to alcohol. So we see lots of these manifestations of what Dr. Silkworth teaches us in Bill's story. Now, Bill's story was not originally chapter one. It was to head off the the story section in the back of the book. But the book was edited by a man by the name of Tom Uzzle, who was brought in at the end of 1938. And he edited the book with a woman named Janet Blair. And Janet Blair edited the grammar and punctuation, the text. And Tom Uzzle, he edited the content. And Tom Uzzle, he moved Bill's story from the back of the book to the first chapter of the book or the beginning of the book. The first chapter was originally the doctor's opinion, and that wasn't moved until the second edition. And the reason that the doctor's opinion was moved, as far as we know, is the book is supposed to be for alcoholics by alcoholics, and Silkworth was not an alcoholic, so it was moved to the Roman numeral section. And Bill's story is in the front of the book now for a couple of reasons. Number one, the first one being identification. Can I identify with Bill's thinking? Do I think like Bill thought? Do I eat like Bill drank? And for me, the answer is, absolutely, resoundingly, yes. And what else do we see in Bill's story? And Bill's, in Bill's story, we are going to see the three properties of the disease or characteristics that are apart from the allergy and the twist of the mind. And they are that the disease is permanent, that no cure has ever had uh, been uh, ever been stumbled upon by mankind. This disease is permanent. The disease is progressive. Whether you're eating or not, your disease is getting worse and worse and worse and worse over time. In chapter three, we're going to talk about a man of 30 who is doing a great deal of spree drinking. And he's going to put the booze away for 25 years, but he's going to pull out his carpet slippers and a bottle and he'll be dead within four years. So we're going to see that our disease is getting worse over time, whether we are eating or not. The disease is permanent, the progress is progressive, and it's fatal if left unchecked. But you don't have to die from the disease. You can just die with the disease if you're willing to work the steps and have a spiritual awakening. If you're willing to work the steps, then you can die with the disease rather than from the disease. And I hope I make that distinction clear. With the disease means I'm going to die with it. I don't have to die from it. Okay. Now, Ebby Thatcher was an alcoholic friend of Bill Wilson's. Edwin Ebby Thatcher, Edwin T. Thatcher was a childhood friend of Bill's and they did a lot of drinking together. And when Bill was first living with his grandma and grandpa in East Dorset, Vermont, they sent him to Burr and Burton Academy, which was at that time Burr and Burton Seminary. And Burr and Burton was a private school that they paid for because they wanted Bill to get a really good education. And when he was there, he met Edwin Ebby Thatcher and he and Bill became good friends. They played on the baseball team together. They did later in life, a lot of drinking together. So Ebby had 
credibility with Bill of being an alcoholic. So Bill knew that anything Ebby had ever told him about alcoholism was coming from a good, reliable source. And we see Ebby Thatcher, and I'm, I'm, if you want further edification of this, I don't have the time to go into the entire history of step two today because I did it last week. If you want a comprehensive history of how step two came into the program, go to scottsdalebigbook.com and listen to last week's podcast and you will get a very comprehensive history of how this spiritual solution came into the program. Very, very important stuff. Now, Bill and Ebby are having a conversation in which Bill is drunk and Ebby is sober. And Bill is, is astounded at the fact that Ebby has never come to New York as an adult in a sober condition. And here he is, fresh-skinned and glowing, and he was sober. I mean, Think about the fact that this guy is sober and he was a fall down drunk. And Bill is wrestling with this God-based solution because there are many things that Bill is thinking about his grandfather and how his grandfather was a churchgoer, but he resisted the idea of a czar of the universe, no matter how loving his sway might be. And he resisted anybody telling him how he must believe or what he must believe. And this was a big bone of contention with Bill Wilson. And one of the things that I've seen in all my years in OA, and I don't have to look at you to see it. All I need to do is look in the mirror and I see a struggle with this idea of God. You know, I prayed to God for death. And I prayed to God that I could be thin and I wanted all the girls to like me and I wanted them all to want to kiss me and I wanted them all to react to me the way they reacted to Johan over here this morning on the uh, on the meeting. They were all telling him they're coming over to Sweden and they want to kiss him and all. I wanted the girls to react to me that way and they didn't. They absolutely didn't. The only thing they ever wanted to know from me was, does your friend like me? Does your friend like so-and-so. Do you think your friend likes me? Was he looking at me? How in the hell do I know? Why don't you go over there and ask him yourself? No, I want to ask you. No, don't ask me. Ask him. The bottom line is that's the only, I was a conduit of information that I did not have, nor did I care about, but I was standing there dying going, man, I wish she was as interested in me as she is in him. And it never, ever happened for sure. I went on my first date with a girl. I was 35 years old. But the bottom line is I wanted to be the quarterback of the Bears, but I never did the work to be it. I wanted to be rich and famous, but I never did the work to be either one. I wanted to be someone special, and I wasn't. All I was was fat. And so th this idea of God was a difficult one for me, and it remains something that I have to work at every single day. Remember that it doesn't say in step two, believed that there was a power greater than myself. It says came to believe, which indicates a process rather than an event. And I would do the same things other people did. Well, if there's a Holocaust and if there's a war and if there's kids that die of leukemia and cancer and AIDS, how could there be a God? And if there's this, and if there's that, and all I know is, I don't know. But I have a choice to make. And so do every other person on the face of the earth. We can live in spite of those things or die because of those things. Walk me through, I ask people all the time, walk me through how you eating ice cream sandwiches does anything to hurt Hitler. Walk me through the process. Walk me through the process of how eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and boxes of Ritz crackers gets her back. Show me how that works. Walk me through how you eating 15 orders of McDonald's fries 
stops children from dying of devastating diseases. Walk me through it because I'd be interested to see for myself and none of them can. And there are things that are going to go on in the world like are what going on now, right now, that I don't have an explanation for, but I do have this explanation. God didn't put a bunch of robots on the earth. He put a bunch of human beings. And human beings have free will. They can do good or they can do bad. They can go east or they can go west. God cries too. When people die of addiction, when there are meetings and recovery, just blocks from their home, God weeps too. When there are people like me that can't get out of a car, that can't put on clothes, that can't buy clothes in a normal store, that can't pay their bills, that can't function in society, that can't bend down and pick something up, that can't stand, can't sit, are the object of ridicule like I was, God cries too. God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. So why is there so much misery in the world? Most of it is the result of the free will that God gave human beings. Most of it, not all of it. But God cries too when little children die. And when millions of people get displaced from their homes, God is crying too. Let's go to page 11. And the paragraph that we're going to start with, the wars which had been fought, this paragraph is as timeless as the Redwoods. It's as timeless as the Saguaros. It's as timeless as the sky in Lake Michigan. It's as timeless as the seas and the beaches. This paragraph is as timeless as time goes. Because this paragraph is as applicable 10,000 years from now as it will be 5,000 years from now as it was 2,000 years ago. Page 11, the wars which had been fought, the burnings and chicanery, chicanery's mischief, that religious dispute had facilitated made me sick. That's why a lot of people in my experience turn off because they see, the, they see the wars, they see the mischief, and they don't like it. I don't like it either. All I can again say is, walk me through how you eating Oreo cookies is going to stop that or relieve it. And it's not going to. We can live in spite of that or die because of that. Is this the hill you want to die on? Let's keep going. I honestly doubted whether on balance the religions of mankind had done any good, judging from what I had seen in Europe. And since the power of God in human affairs was negligible, the brotherhood of man, a grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed the boss universal, and he certainly had me. Timeless paragraph. Look around you. It's as timeless as timeless gets. But my friend, Ebby, sat before me and he made the point blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. Let's stop right there for just a second. Forget everything. Forget the world events. Forget your newspaper or your web page. Forget your television or your radio or forget your whatever. And let's look at something here. God was, was helping Ebby get, getting Ebby sober. Ebby was an alcoholic. Ebby's life was in turmoil because of his alcoholism. Ebby had a lot of misfortune due to his alcoholism. And here he was sober. And God had done for Ebby what he could not do for himself. Let's continue. His human will had failed. My human will failed. 
God did for me what I could not do for myself. I tried diets. I have been dieting since I was six. When I was nine years old, I was put on heavy duty amphetamine by a doctor. I was on diet pills at nine, diet pills at 10. I have used lose weight with AIDS, not the disease, A-Y-D-S from years ago, AIDS. They were these little caramel candies. They tasted terrible. And you're supposed to eat one and it's supposed to kill your appetite. Then there was Metrical. And then there was this. And then there was that. And there are people of the 140 people here, there are people that paid money to have the urine of a pregnant woman shot up their butt. There are people who had paid money to have their teeth wired, their jaws wired shut. I'm not even going to talk about the surgeries because it's an outside thing and I don't want to go there. But look at the means, look at the lengths that we have gone to try to, to cure this disease or stem the tide of this disease. And the only solution that we really have is in God. So the wars are horrible and I hate them. The wars are hideous and I hate them. I am a product of hate. If there was no hate, then I would have aunts and uncles and cousins and all kinds of stuff. My father was one of eight children. I don't have any uncles or cousins or aunts or I don't have any of that. Why? They were murdered. They were obliterated off the face of the earth. And for what reason? Because they prayed a different way and they were murdered. I understand. I understand. My father was the sole survivor of 40 family members, the only one that lived. The only one. And if he hadn't lived, I wouldn't be here today. I get it. There's horrific injustices in this world. But how is me eating ice cream going to help them? It's not. And every one of you who are listening to my voice, whether you're listening to my voice on a recording or you're listening to my voice on March 19th, 2022, on one of the most gorgeous, beautiful Saturdays that we've had in a long, long time, you have injustice and hideous occurrences in your history, whether you are aware of them or you are not. But we can't wring our hands and blame God because life is short. And Ebby was an alcoholic of the highest magnitude, bottom of the barrel drunk. Ebby was embarrassing his family. They wanted him to go to Manchester to get the summer home ready because they couldn't take his BS anymore. They couldn't take his BS anymore because he was constantly drunk, constantly drinking. They hated it. They loved him, but they hated his alcoholism and he was sober. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. He was going on to Brattleboro in Vermont. And Brattleboro is not just a city in Vermont. It's where the state insane asylum is. And in Brattleboro, they had a area in that insane asylum where they would lock up inebriants. What is an inebriant? An inebriant is an alcoholic. They are inebriated. An inebriant is a drunk. And they had a ward there. And for thousands of years, there was nowhere for us to go. 
There was no help available. There was no AA. There was no doctor. There was no nurse. There was no preacher. There was no priest. There was no rabbi or minister. The, they locked you up. The men had it nightmarish. Many of them were sterilized against their will. They were locked in jails, locked in insane asylums, and their only crime was that they were alcoholics. And as horrible as the men had it, the women had it worse. Many of them were given lobotomies, hysterectomies against their will, so they could not pass on their demon genes to another generation. And they were lobotomized their brains were altered and they became vegetables. Many of them were abused. Many of them suffered in dignity, in absolute filth and squalor and horror. There was nowhere for them to go. We can take for granted that there is an AA and there is an OA. I go to a rather enlightened cardiologist. I go to a rather enlightened doctor. They know everything about how to keep me going. I have a condition called AFib, atrial fibrillation. That's why I'm on blood thinners and that's why I'm on cholesterol meds. And that's why I have to take different things, different pills and they can keep me alive. But neither one of these gentlemen ever heard of OA in their life. Do you know what AA is? And they said, oh, yes, we know about AA. Do you know about OA? No, what's OA? These are doctors. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Don't take for granted what we have here. Because what we're going to do this morning is we're also going to see that point in time where everything is going to come together where everything is going to mix and come together. And the beginning of the life that we have is going to start. But let's keep going today. Let's keep going. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Can I relate to the way Bill thinks? You bet. Can I relate to the way Bill drinks? You bet. And I had admitted complete defeat. Then he had in effect been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. What a promise. What a promise. And Bill is still fighting this idea of God. Because like me, Bill had these reservations about God. And I'm growing up as a child. And when we walked to the corner where the synagogue was, my father would be spitting on the floor like that. That's how he would walk into the synagogue because he was so angry and enraged about what had happened to his mother, father, grandmother, grandfather on both sides, sisters, brothers, nieces, nephews, ranging from six weeks old to 75 years old. And what was their crime? There was no crime. They were murdered for nothing. And he blamed God. And I'm growing up in this. And he's telling me every day of my life, one day they'll come and kill you. That's what they do. And one day they'll come and kill you. And if they don't kill you, they'll kill your children. And I'm growing up in this. And I'm hearing this every day of my life. And now I come into a program and they're going to ask me to accept this God who couldn't make me thin, who couldn't stop the murder and the mayhem, who doesn't stop the war. There was a war raging in the 60s that you know about, who couldn't right wrongs and create justice where none existed. And because the world wasn't a perfect place, according to my script, then of course I'm going to blame God. That's what I learned from daddy. And I can't do that today. I had to fire that God. I had to fire that God because that God would not keep me out of the food for seven seconds. That God that I had in my head as a child listening to my father would not have kept me out of the food. I had to fire that God. And I have to come 
to grips with a new, merciful, wonderful God. And I had to learn that there are two things that I need to know about God and only two. And there are poets and philosophers and clergymen and writers and all manner of theologians and historians that are going to philosophize the day away about what God is and what God is not. There's two things I need to know about God. There is one and it's not me. There is a power greater than myself that created Lake Michigan, that created the five great lakes. And I'll teach you something. This is a, something you learn as a kid in school in, in Chicago. How do you know the names of the five great lakes? You just remember the word homes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. Homes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. See, you didn't know you were gonna get that today. See, you get Yiddish, you get a little history, you get everything here today. You get how to name the five Great Lakes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior, homes. But I didn't create that. Now, somebody here, has pug puppies who are in their second day of solid food. And we got videos yesterday of the pugs. I've never seen anything that cute in my life. The little sounds that they make, I didn't create that, nor did you. Nor did you, the little noises they were making as they were eating solid food for the second day of their life. Tell me there's anything cuter than that. See, I didn't create that, but God did but I had to alter my perception of God. Let's continue. I'm on page 11. Had this power originated in him, him being Ebby? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute. And that was this was none at all. That floored me. It began to look as though religious people were right after all. Here was something at work in a human heart. <clears throat> which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Now, I love the OA birthday. Every January, when it's the weekend of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, up until the pandemic, I would light out for Los Angeles and we would just have the best time. I would get in on Thursday or Wednesday, and we would go here and go there. We would have the best time. And you haven't lived, let me just tell you, Charles H. is, is, is a character beyond characters. When he holds court in the lobby of the Hilton in Los Angeles, it is a sight to behold. He's tall. If you don't know, if you don't know Charles, He's tall and broad. I don't think he can get his shoulders into my house. I think he'd have to go sideways. He's broad and tall. And he holds court in the lobby of that Hilton. It is a sight to behold. You will never forget it. He is just a character among characters. And we would have so much fun. And my sponsor lives in Los Angeles, West Los Angeles, California. And we just had the greatest old time you could imagine. And Larry comes and a lot of other people come. But anyway, the point that I was getting with that is every morning that we're in Los Angeles, people let out for the ocean. And they wanted to go to the beach and see the ocean. And they would come back from the beach and they would, oh my God, what a miracle. Oh my God, what a miracle. And that's great. But I define a miracle as something to which there is no earthly explanation for its occurrence. And the miracles were not the sunrise because the sunrise is just, it's actually not a sunrise. The sun doesn't move. It's the earth going around for another day. That's all it is. The miracle are the people in the lobby of that hotel that are compulsive overeaters who are not eating compulsively and they are happy in their release from the bondage and filth of this disease. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. The people who are not eating compulsively, who are compulsive overeaters, and they're happy. Wow, what a miracle. Forget the burning bush. 
Forget the splitting of the Red Sea. Forget the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. Well, that I would say was a miracle. But the Cubs winning the World Series aside, the other things I said, um, those are other kinds of miracles. But the greatest miracle of them all is when someone is in recovery from a disease that should have ransacked them even further and killed them. And they are spitting in its face and standing before God and the sun and the moon saying, I am in recovery. I will not eat that. I will not do that. That's the miracle. Don't miss it. Don't quit five minutes before the miracle. Because the age of miracles is upon us. And there is one, two, 10, 40 miracles awaiting you. There are miracles out there and some of them have your name on it. Don't quit five minutes before the miracle. <sighs> My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past, the burning bush, the splitting of the Red Sea, the oil that burned for eight days when it should have burned for one, the Cubs winning the World Series. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great tidings. Go to Stepping Stones in New York, in Katona. Sit at that kitchen table. Sit at the table and have someone take your picture. It is one of the most life-changing events ever. Go to 182 Clinton Street in Brooklyn. Stand there fresh-skinned and glowing. You deserve it. Bottom of 11, I saw my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. I'm at the top of 12. He was on a different footing. His roots grasped a new soil. And what Bill is seeing is indisputable. He is seeing a drunk, an alcoholic, sitting there not only sober, but somebody who doesn't want to drink. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. Vestiges are pockets of my old prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy, and antipathy is a feeling of dislike. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified because if there was a God personal to me, why do I have problems? Why am I fat? Why am I still alive? Why can't I have a girlfriend? Why can't I be rich? Why can't I fill in the blank? So I became very agitated by this idea. Let's see where he goes from there. Maybe you are too. I bet I'm not alone in all these feelings. I didn't like that, the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind or spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. Now, I'm gonna give you a little history, not a lot. I'm just gonna give you a little history. The next sentence, the next little paragraph is going to change the world forever. And that's not the only world changing sentence we're going to read today. But Ebby does not remember saying it to Bill. I don't know how Ebby would have gotten this idea because Ebby was coming out of the Oxford group, which was a Christian organization trying to infuse enthusiasm for Christianity into the world. Now, you have to remember that the event took place in November of 34. Bill wrote this in 1938. So four years had passed, almost four years had passed. Jimmy Burwell probably had something to do with what we're about to read because he was an atheist. 
In all of Ebby's known talks, he does not refer to saying this. He does not remember saying this, but Bill refers to this story of him and Ebby as the bedtime story they most want to hear. Bill was a revisionist in much of the history that he relates. He gets things wrong. He likes a good yarn. Sometimes he embellishes a little here and there. We don't exactly know. Ebby does not remember saying this. This is probably more attributable to Jimmy Burwell, who was an atheist, and Hank Parkhurst, who didn't want mention of God in the book. As much as we love Dr. Bob, as much as we revere Dr. Bob, Hank Parkhurst was very much a co-founder of AA, especially when it comes to this book, because Dr. Bob was in Akron and Hank was right there on Williams Street, 17 Williams Street in Newark, New Jersey, where most of the book was written. And Hank Parkhurst was not a person who wanted a lot of God in this book. So we don't exactly know where this idea comes from, but what we do know is it came from God himself. Why? Because if this was a Christian organization, many of us could not or would not be a part of it. If it was a Jewish organization or it was an organization of left-handed people or right-handed people or people who like to tap dance or people who like to, to throw rocks at whatever, it, we wouldn't be here. But this next paragraph is going to open the door, not just to Bill, but for millions and millions of unborn people and people who are already dead, millions of people in the future who are going to walk through the doors of a 12-step program and feel just as welcome as the person sitting next to them, even though they have very different ideas of God and religion. Let's go to the book. My friend suggested what then seemed a novel idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? That sentence that Ebby Thatcher is attributed to, it's attributed to Ebby. As I just got through telling you, he doesn't remember saying it. He was sober and Bill was drunk at the time. It opened the door to everyone here and everyone who wants to come here. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? I have a friend of mine. She lives in Texas. She went to Baylor University. That They're all crazy down there since Baylor won the uh, NCAA last year. But I love her and she loves me. But we have very different ideas of what God is or what religion is. So who cares? It doesn't mean squat. We go to the same meetings. We go to the same online things. We attend things together because it's my conception is good for me. Her conception is good for her. Your conception is good for you. So when we're struggling with this idea of God, remember, we can change it at any time we want. What are those attributes in a God that I most want? Those are fine. What are the attributes in a God I don't want? I take them out. I don't need a judgmental God. I don't want a judgmental God. I don't want a God that is going to punish me. I don't want a God that is going to be super critical of me. I've had enough of that in my life. I don't know about you. So I don't have that kind of God. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? And that statement hit me hard. I'm continuing now, bottom or middle of 12. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. He is now understanding that he is not going to have trouble with his conception of anything. Let me believe the way I want to believe, and you got me. And this is what this statement 
Doesn't matter who said it. It could be Rin Tin Tin. It could be the Lone Ranger. It could be George the Spaceman. It doesn't matter. As long as it's in the book and we have that privilege of choosing whatever God we want. Because we're now at the precipice of everything changing, and we'll get to it in just a second, when everything is going to come together and the world will spin on its axis in another direction where there will be a place for us to go. Let's get to it quickly. I stood in the sunlight at last. This is italicized. This is very important. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. You don't have to believe. I don't have to believe. I have to be willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself, whether that is Israel, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Mohammed, whether it's the sun and the stars, whether it's the great outdoors, whether it's a group of drunks it, or dog, if you're dyslexic, it doesn't matter what that is. All that matters is that I be willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. That's all that is required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. So now he's not fighting this idea any longer. He is now accepting this idea. He now understands what's going on here upon a foundation of complete willingness. I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. There's an indisputable fact of life. Ebby was sober. Bill was drunk. Ebby's life for the last two months did not include being arrested. It did not include him not being able to function. His life for two months of his, the first two months of his adult life where he was sober and he was okay with being sober. In the past, when he was sober, he was miserable. Would I have it? Of course I would. Now, the next couple of sentences here are going to change the world forever in a way that it will never, ever, ever be the same. Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. Him is capitalized. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. If you don't have that sentence, at long last I saw, I felt, I believed, highlighted in your book, please highlight it. Because we're going to talk about that now, and you're going to want to highlight it. What did he see? He saw recovery. He had been hospitalized for his alcoholism twice. And he saw heavy drinkers moderate drinkers and alcoholics sober, but the alcoholics were not happy about it. He saw recovery for the first time in Bill Wilson's life, the only time in Bill Wilson's life up to that point. He saw living, breathing alcoholic in front of him, not drunk, not drinking, and happy about it. He saw recovery. On page 58 of the big book, it says, if you want what we have and you're willing to go to any length to get it, what is it that we have? Oh, you could say we have compulsive overeaters. Yeah, they have those at Dunkin' Donuts too. They have them at Kentucky Fried Chicken too. We have compulsive overeaters that are not eating and they have that at Weight Watchers and they have that at Nutrisystems. I'm not knocking Weight Watchers or Nutrisystems, but they have them there and they have them at McDonald's too. What we have here are compulsive overeaters who are not eating compulsively and they are thrilled to death in their release. They are happy in their release. He saw recovery. He had never seen recovery before. He saw recovery. He felt, what did he feel? For the first time in his drunken life, he felt hope. Now remember, boys and girls, that we are talking about a man who comes out of World War I all happy. Let me read it to you again. What, what did he say? No, I'm looking at the doctor's opinion. Sorry about that. 
22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader. I'm on page one. For had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation? My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. He turns into, because of the progressive nature of the disease, a man who is struggling not to kill himself. And there are people of the 156 of you, there are people, including me, that begged God for death because I couldn't live with this disease and I couldn't live without the disease. I couldn't live with the food. I couldn't live without the food. And I saw no way out. I saw no alternative. And all I did was beg God for death. He felt hope. He felt like life could be worth living because of the example that Ebby gave him in sitting there sober. And what did he believe in? This is the key to the whole thing. And this is the earth changer. This is the game changer. This is where it all comes together, where the beakers of chemicals come together to form something which had never existed before. He felt uh, excuse me, he saw, I felt, I believed. With that statement that he believed the world is now different, what did he believe? That God could and would alleviate his alcoholism as it did in Ebby if he only sought God. On page 60, the ABCs, God could and would if he were sought. I saw recovery. I felt hope. I believed that God could and would. The world will never be the same. The world is a place now where there is a place to go. And for thousands of years, there was no place to go. For thousands of years, people like us and alcoholics and drug addicts and gamblers and love addicts and sex addicts and all these various different things had nowhere to go. There was no help. There was no relief. There was no life. I, I saw recovery. Look around you. My God, I don't care if you're struggling or you're in recovery. Look around you. There are faces in these little Hollywood squares that are people that are in recovery. There are people who are not eating and they are happy in their release. And some of them are white and some are black, not enough black. Some of them are Hispanic and some of them are are minorities and some are Catholic and they're Jewish and they're, they're Lutheran and they're Methodist and they're Baptist and they're God knows what and they're left-handed and they're right-handed and they're gay and they're straight and they're male and they're female and they are in recovery. Look around you at the miracles. The OA birthday, instead of seeing the, the sun rise over Santa Monica, look in the lobby of the Hilton. Look in the lobby of the Hilton at the faces of the hundreds and hundreds of people that are at the birthday, middle weekend of January, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Look at the faces of the people that are in recovery. They're not eating compulsively and they are happy in their release. You wanna be one of those people? Take our hand. Walk the path with us. We're not going to hold anything back from you. There's no secret formula. We are here to help you. God is here to help you. Walk to him. He'll run to you. He'll make things possible in your life that you cannot even imagine are possible. He will catapult you into a fourth dimension of existence far beyond anything you could have imagined. Trust him, test him, see if you can find him wanting. You cannot find him wanting. Are you going to get instant results? Probably not. Is everything going to go your way? Probably not. 
but you are going to have the ride of a lifetime. Oh, the people you'll see and the places that you'll go. You won't believe the changes in you when you travel this path. Maybe you came in here because you couldn't live in the food or you couldn't live without the food, but you work this program enough and you'll be less codependent. You'll be less alanonic. You'll worry less about what other people are thinking and you'll worry more about how you can help the newcomer. Not only will you be able to live in a world with other people, you'll be able to live in a world where you're by yourself in a room. You'll be able to live in the world and not look in the mirror and be horrendously pissed off at what you see. You will live free of the guilt and the shame and the remorse and the horror of the eating that you did or the purging that you did or the, or the lie that you told or the thing that you did yesterday that you're deeply ashamed of. You will live a life above that. These promises will come true for anyone who does the work. I saw recovery. I felt hope. I believed that God could and would if he were sought. And if it worked for Ebby Thatcher, a drunk, an inebriate, a sot, a worthless piece of garbage whose only claim to fame was he was the son of the guy that was the mayor of Albany, New York. He had a wealthy family and he pissed whatever money he had away on liquor and he pissed it away on other stuff. And he became a leech to his family, a hanger on. You Look at the way Bill thinks. Do I relate to it? Yes, I do. Do I relate? Do I, do I eat the way Bill drinks? Yes, I do. Now I can recover the way Bill recovers. I saw recovery. I felt hope. I believed that God could and would if he were sought. Let's finish the paragraph in the next one. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view and a new world is coming into view for you too. Because never before in the history of the world has the problem that was given us by Silkworth enjoined in one human being the solution that came from the Oxford groupers. Never before had the problem met the solution. There were people that thought they had solutions in religion. They thought they had solutions in, in buying this chemical or buying this, this quackery, this, this potion that you're supposed to drink that's going to cure your alcoholism that didn't cure anything. All it did was cure the poverty of the crooks that sold it to you. Now there was a place to go. And do we think, do we know if Bill Wilson is the first person in, in the world to get this information? No, but what do we know? He is going to be the first person in the history of planet Earth to, to take this information, put it together, and bring it to the world. I saw, I felt, I believed. This is a, as important a paragraph as you will ever read in your life. This is the beginning. This is where it starts. And there is a direct line from this moment. And somebody gave that to you. Somebody convinced you to come here. You, all you're charged with is to pass it to someone else. That's all your charge is, to pass it to someone else. That's your charge. We're not going to go any further today. I'm A, out of energy, and B, this is very emotional. These paragraphs in Bill's story are deeply emotional for me because I never saw a way out. I was 335 pounds as a senior at Mather High School in Chicago. 
I was 500 pounds by the time I was a sophomore in college. I was 600 pounds by the time I graduated college. I was the fattest kid around. I have been an object of ridicule. I have spent my life alone. I went on my first date with a girl. I was 35 years of age. I never knew what it was like to be a normal person. I never could walk down the street without people making fun of me. I couldn't live with myself and I couldn't live with other people. So these paragraphs are very emotional for me and they drain me because of the miracle that I have received from this unbelievable program. Next week, we're gonna start on the real significance. And before I turn it over, I'm gonna make a few points, okay? Um, number one, I'm out of breath. Number two, I want more videos of the pugs, Betty, whether you're here or not, I couldn't tell you. But if you are, we want more videos of the pugs. They're so cute, they're second day eating and they're the cutest things. I am not a pug person, I've never had, uh, my wife had a Pomeranian and the Pomeranian, we had two German shepherds, great big German shepherds. 